All right. Good morning. It is great uh, for us to be together. It's awesome to get a chance to be able to spend some time together and also to uh, get a chance to open up the Bible here in a minute together as well uh, as we are continuing together in this series that we've been calling Patterns That Change Us. And so like Steve mentioned just a moment ago, if you're a guest with us here at Grace, if it's your first time here or maybe you haven't been here in a while, hey, thanks so much for being here. We're glad to have you. And just to kind of catch you up to speed with uh, what it is that we're talking about in this series, basically what we're doing is we're looking at uh, different patterns of life uh, that Jesus Christ himself exemplified and taught that lead to the transformation that God desires or patterns that change us. And really what we've been saying in this series is we've kind of been saying this. We've been saying that Jesus didn't simply come to give his life for us, which of course we believe he did. In fact, for those of us who follow Christ, that is really the central, kind of the, the central thing that we believe for those of us who follow Christ is that Jesus came, uh, he died a, a sacrificial death for us that led to the forgiveness of sins and he rose from the dead to give us new life. And so for those of us who follow Christ, which I know maybe is not everyone in this room. Uh, that is the kind of the central thing that Christians believe. But here's what we're saying. We're saying Jesus didn't just simply come to give his life, but he also came to show us how to live. Uh, Jesus came to demonstrate and to exemplify for us a pattern of life, kind of a rhythm of life that we can emulate and that we can follow that will lead to change, that will lead to transformation that God desires. And so in this series, then, what we're doing is real practically, we're just talking about what does it look like to put Put these patterns in our lives? What does it look like to follow the rhythm of the life of Jesus? And practically speaking, how do we kind of do that? And so each week what we've been doing is we've been looking at these different patterns together, been thinking through them. And so, for example, here's just kind of a review of the past several weeks. We talked about the pattern of solitude and community, for example. Uh, we talked about the pattern of fasting and feasting. We talked about the pattern of secrecy and confession. And each of these patterns, we actually took a couple weeks on each of them and we kind of defined what exactly do we mean by that. We looked and we said, what does the Bible teach? How does that show up in Jesus's life? And then we said, practically speaking, as practical as we know how, how do we live these patterns out in our lives today and how do those then change us? And so we've kind of talked about those. Now today, we're gonna continue looking at a fourth pattern that we started looking at last week. And the pattern that we're gonna be looking at today is this pattern right here, is the pattern of simplicity, and generosity, simplicity and generosity. So last week, uh, we talked all about simplicity. And so this week, we're gonna talk about the other side of this pattern. We're gonna talk all about generosity, okay? So today, uh, we're gonna zero in. We're gonna talk about the pattern of generosity. By the way, I just wanna say that if you missed any of the previous talks in this series or if you missed last week's conversation, uh, you can go back to our website, our app, our podcast, access all of that. You can catch up on all of that. That, probably, that would be to your advantage if you missed that. But today, generosity. And so as we begin to think about this pattern, I wanna invite you, why don't you grab your Bible if you got it, and why don't we re return back to the passage that we were looking at last week, and that's in Matthew chapter six. If you got a Bible, why don't you get it out, turn with me to Matthew six, that's where we're gonna go. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's not a problem. Uh, we have some Bibles under the chairs, and you can turn to page 679 in those Bibles that are under the chairs. And if you don't own a Bible, you can have one of those. You can just take one home with you. We'd love for you uh, to have a physical copy of the Bible if you don't currently uh, have one. So Matthew chapter six is where we're gonna kind of zero in on as we talk about generosity. Now, as you're finding Matthew six, um, I, I know that for maybe some of you, when I say that today we're talking about generosity, when I say that, in your mind, what you might equate that with is you might think, okay, we're talking about money. 
right? So when we talk about generosity, we're talking about money. And, you know, the church talks about money, and this is going to be one of those times that it's going to be a money talk here at the church. And, and let me just tell you that, um, that actually this pattern, it involves money, but it's actually much more expansive than that. And so when you talk about simplicity and generosity, you're not simply talking about money. You're actually talking about a lot more than that. In fact, last week, you might remember, Dan said, when we're talking about simplicity and generosity, we're actually talking about your resources. And so, yes, that includes your money, but it also includes things like your time. It includes things like your gifts and your talents. Uh, it includes things like your possessions and, and the stuff and the things that you own. You could be generous in a lot of different ways. And so I want you to understand that we're talking about generosity. We're talking about, yes, money, but more than that, uh, we're talking about kind of something that expands to your resources and your things. That's what we're talking about is your resources. In fact, last week, I don't know if you remember this or not, if you were here, Dan actually introduced us to a word that the Bible uses to talk about our resources. And so not just our money, but our stuff and our things and our resources, there's actually a Bible word for this. It's a very generic word, and it's kind of a weird word. And if you were here last week, you might remember, it's this word right here. It's the word mammon, the word mammon. That's a weird word, isn't it? And the Bible's gonna use this word to talk about our money and our stuff and our things and our resources. That's the word. In fact, last week, I think Dan actually had you say this out loud, and I thought just keeping with the spunkiness of Dan, uh, why don't you just turn to your neighbor? Why don't you just go ahead and say mammon? Just turn to your neighbor and say mammon, mammon. It's a weird word, isn't it? It's weird. It's awkward. And so mammon, that's, that's the word. And what it is, again, is it's referring to our stuff and our resources. Now, I think it probably goes without saying. This probably goes without saying. But this topic, the topic of our things and our stuff and our resources and our money, right, is very, very, very relevant to the place that we find ourselves in time and space and history. Uh, we live in a society, without a doubt, where we are maybe more mammon-centric than any other society in the history of the world, potentially, arguably, right? I was actually reading this book um, recently this past week. It's by a guy named Ron Blue. The name of the book is called Generous Living. And in his book, he actually gave this, this little poem uh, to talk about our relationship with our mammon, with our things, with our stuff. And uh, I read this, and I'll just be honest with you, I thought it was kind of corny. It's a little bit of a corny poem. But, um, but I thought I'd share it with you. And the reason I'd share it with you is because even though it's a little cheesy, uh, after I was done reading it, I thought, wow, that's actually, it's actually pretty insightful. And so I thought I'd share this with you. Okay, it's called Mr. and Mrs. Thing. So here it is. Again, it's a little corny, fair warning, but here's the poem. All right, so Mr. and Mrs. Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple. At least that's the verdict of most people who tend to measure success with a thingometer. When the thingometer is put to work in the life of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, the results are staggering. There is Mr. Thing sitting down on a luxurious and very expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, things to eat, all shiny and new, things, things, things. Things to clean with and things to wash with and things to clean and things to wash and things to amuse and things to give pleasure and things to watch and things to play. Things for the long hot summer and things for the short cold winter. Things for the big thing in which they live and things for the garden and things for the lounge and things for the kitchen and things for the bedroom. Things, things, things. And just when you're like, okay, that's a lot of things. Well, then he goes on and he says this. He says, and things on four wheels and things on two wheels and things to put on top of the four wheels and things to pull behind the four wheels and things to add to the interior of the thing on four wheels. Things, things, things. And there in the middle are Mr. and Mrs. Things, smiling and pleased as punch with things, thinking about more things to add to things, secure in the castle of things. And he says this, he says, well, I just want you to know that your things can't last. They're going to pass. There's going to be an end to them. 
oh, maybe an error in judgment or maybe a temporary loss of concentration or maybe you'll just pass them off to a secondhand thing dealer or maybe they'll wind up as a mass of mangled metal being towed off to the thing yard. And what about the things in your house? Well, it's time for bed. Put out the cat, make sure you lock the door so some thing taker doesn't come and take your things. And that's the way life goes, doesn't it? And someday when you die, they only put one thing in the box, you. And uh, when I read that, I thought, okay, it's kind of corny. But at the same time, I was like, ooh, as I was chuckling, I also was cringing a little bit because I was like, you know what? I, can, I think we can relate to that. I think I can relate to that. I think as a society, we can very much relate with Mr. and Mrs. Thing in a lot of different ways. Why? Because we live in a lot of ways in an increasingly more mammon-centric society. I actually thought it was interesting. I was reading this study that was done back in 2017, and it was talking about Americans' relationship with our stuff, and it synthesized a bunch of different findings. But let me just show this to you. In America, so in America, the average home contains about 300,000 items, 300,000 things that each of us have in our homes on average. The average house size today is about three times the size compared to what it was three, uh, 50 years ago. And so when you look at square footage, our homes are getting larger and larger, filled with more things. $1.2 trillion Americans spend every year on non-essential goods. And by non-essential, of course, what we mean is things that are just kind of you know, frivolous beyond what we actually need. And then look at this. This is interesting. $37.5 billion we spend on storage. And so we spend a, a trillion dollars on stuff we don't need, and then we have it in houses that are bigger than they used to be, and we have to buy storage to put the stuff for our things. 47% of us uh, in America spend more money each month than we earn. And then each one of us, I thought this was interesting, each one of us is gonna spend about 3,600 hours looking for stuff that we misplaced. That's about half a year of your life that you're gonna be looking for stuff. Well, where did I put that thing? And uh, when I was reading this, I was just like, wow, that is true. We can totally relate with Mr. and Mrs. Thing. We are, gro- we are growing in our uh, consumption and in our, uh, in our collection of mammon, of things, of stuff. And it's probably no surprise to you then that the Bible, the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about our things. The Bible has a lot to say about our mammon. And what the Bible says about our mammon actually might be surprising to you. Some of you might think, well, the Bible's gonna say that mammon's evil, that it's wrong for us to have a lot of stuff. And actually, that's what the Bible's, the Bible's never gonna say that. The Bible's, Bible's gonna say that mammon, that our stuff, that things, there's actually no moral designation to our mammon. It's neither good or bad. It's neither righteous or evil. It's just amoral. It just is. It's just stuff. And so the Bible never says it's bad to have stuff or it's not bad to have stuff. It never says that. But what the Bible tells us, and this is why I think it's so fascinating, is over and over again, it's going to tell us that our relationship with our stuff is actually very important because, because, because it can actually be very dangerous. That our relationship with our stuff, if we're not careful, can actually lead to a condition that the Bible calls over and over again. I want to introduce you to another word that the Bible uses a lot. And it's this word right here. It's the word pleonexia, pleonexia. All right, I want you to turn to your neighbor. We're doing a lot of new words today. Turn to your neighbor and say pleonexia. Just give it a shot. Pleonexia, right? What is pleonexia? Okay, so pleonexia in the New Testament is oftentimes translated as greed. That's how it's translated. And greed is a good, is a good translation, but it's actually much wider than that. Pleonexia, here's what it literally is. Pleonexia is the insatiable, inordinate desire to possess wealth, goods, or objects of abstract value, that's mammon, with the intention to keep it for oneself far beyond the dictates of basic survival and comfort. 
All right, that's what pleonexia is. Pleonexia, here's what pleonexia is. Here's the mentality. The mentality of pleonexia is get all you can and can all you get. Now you keep it for yourself and you need to amass and you need to, you need to store up for yourself and you need to keep for yourself uh, all that you can get, as much money, as much stuff. You need to stockpile it for yourself. And the Bible's gonna look and it's gonna say, that's pleonexia. It's, it's this insatiable desire for more. I just need more. How much you need? Just a little bit more. And I just need to have more, even beyond the dictates of basic survival and comfort. And here's what the Bible's gonna say. Over and over again, the Bible's gonna look and say, you need to be very careful about this. You need to be very careful about your relationship with your stuff because it can lead to pleonexia and pleonexia is extremely dangerous, is extremely dangerous. In fact, here's what Jesus says on the topic. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, watch out. He says, be careful, be so careful. See, Jesus loves us and he wants to keep us from things that are dangerous and are hurtful and harmful to us. And so he says, I want you to watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, which is the word pleonexia, right? For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so Jesus looks and he says, listen, your stuff, your stuff is neither good or evil. It's, it's not you know, moral or, a, or, or immoral or whatever. It's amoral. He says, but there's a danger that can happen in your relationship with your stuff. And it can lead to pleonexia, this insatiable desire for more. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that in the New Testament, that according to Jesus, that our stuff, mammon, that our love of our stuff is the primary competitor for our affections, for our faith, and for our attention. Jesus is gonna, Jesus is gonna preach about a lot of things, right? He's gonna talk about, you know, uh, about the devil and about Satan, and he's gonna talk about sexual immorality. But do you know what Jesus calls the primary competitor for those of us who follow him, for our affections and for our faith and for our security and for our attention, he's gonna say, it is pleonexia, it is our stuff. That is the primary competitor for our heart's affections. And so because of that, Jesus is constantly warning about it. Well, that begs a good question then. And here's the question, how do we keep on guard? How do we watch out? How do, for those of us who follow Jesus in this room, how do we safeguard ourselves against the dangers of pleonexia, against putting our hope and our faith and our trust and our stuff and our money and our resources? How do we keep ourselves from that? Now, the answer might be surprising because I think for some of us, we would think, well, the answer is that we should just hate our stuff. That's the answer. Those of us who follow Jesus, we should just sell all of our stuff. We should just live a life of self-inflicted poverty. We should feel guilty for having things. We should silently judge people who do have things. And that's really the way we should live our lives is we should just denounce stuff. We should just hate stuff. And actually that's not the answer at all. The Bible never says that. As a matter of fact, let me show you, for example, the Bible's gonna say stuff like this, like in 1 Timothy, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So, so our father in heaven says, no, no, no. I want you to enjoy. I don't want you to hate stuff. I don't want you to hate things. I want you to enjoy things. Well, then the, the, the question is, well, then how do we avoid this? Here's the answer, and this probably shouldn't surprise you. The answer, how do you safeguard yourself against pleonexia, is generosity. Generosity. The Bible's gonna say that generosity is the way, generosity is the way that we safeguard ourselves and, and, we, and, we, and we, in a lot of ways, grow in our hearts and we grow away from pleonexia. It's by pursuing generosity. And this is where Jesus comes in, in Matthew chapter six. And so you got your Bibles open. Let's take a look at what Jesus says. A very famous passage, beginning in verse 19, chapter six, verse 19. Here's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, so very famous passage. Jesus starts off by saying this. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, don't stockpile. Don't amass for yourselves. Don't put all your focus on just gathering for yourself earthly treasures, treasures here on earth. In other words, mammon. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, don't spend your life, don't spend your attention, don't spend your focus on just trying to get more, get more, get more, stockpile, amass for yourself, more stuff, more resources, more money. And why? Why does Jesus say that? Does he say, don't do it because it's evil? No, that's not what he says. He says, don't do it because, look, he says, because moth and vermin are gonna destroy and thieves are gonna break in and steal. And so do you notice what Jesus says? Jesus says, the reason that you shouldn't store up for yourself treasures on earth, put your hope in mammon and stuff and money, is because of entropy, entropy. Do you guys remember entropy? Remember this? Studying this back in physics class. Second law of thermodynamics talks about entropy. And what is entropy? Entropy is basically the truth that everything is moving from order to disorder. Everything is moving from order to chaos. Everything is is degrading, is decaying, Everything is decomposing. Everything is moving from order into chaos. That's entropy. And Jesus would look and he would say, yeah, yeah, actually entropy is a real thing on this earth. And he would say, and that's why you shouldn't put all of your hope and all your faith and stuff because eventually it's all going to go away. Notice what he says. He says, moths and vermin and thieves are gonna break in and steal are gonna destroy. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, Back in Jesus's time, uh, wealth would have been kept in three primary ways. And the three ways that wealth was kept was basically garments, grain, and gold, the three Gs. And so today in our society, when we keep wealth, we, we basically measure wealth in, in uh, stocks, bonds, investments, uh, cryptocurrency, real estate. There's a lot of different ways you can put your wealth, you can keep your wealth in a lot of different spots. Well, back in this time, it was basically just three places. You could put it in garments, like ornament, or, or, or like uh, these really nice ornament, like kind of ornament garments. You could put it in grain or crops, or you could put it in gold, just precious metals. And notice that Jesus points out three different things that will destroy those things. So he says, moths and vermin. and In other words, here's what Jesus is saying. I don't want you to spend your life pursuing something that eventually is just going to be ashes anyway. Jesus is saying, I love you too much to see you waste your life. I don't wanna see you give your life to something that in the end is just gonna end up being trash or is it gonna end up being junk or is it gonna end up being stolen? It's just so insecure. I was actually thinking about this verse. Uh, this verse was on my mind uh, not too long ago. My wife and I, uh, we had this. If, and by the way, if you've never done this before, um, I'm just telling you, this may be one of the most perspective-orienting activities uh, that, that we've done in a very, very long time. And if you've never done this, I would even encourage you, if you ever have the opportunity to do this, because it's so perspective-orienting. But my wife and I, um, we have a relative of ours who's moving from her home that she lived in for the past several decades, and she's moving into an assisted living facility. And so we were there, and we were helping her pack up all of her stuff, and, and you know, she had to move out of the house, and so they were going to sell the house and everything. And so we were packing up the house, and we were helping her move all of her stuff. And I'm just telling you, we were going through the house, and we are packing up box after box of stuff. And, and where, where are we going with these boxes? I'm telling you, a good, a, good, a good amount of these boxes went right to the Goodwill. Uh, a good amount of them went right into, the, right into the dumpster. And then some of them went to the family and some of it she kept. But you know, it's just interesting. We're going through her, and she was, she was by no stretch of the imagination a hoarder. She's just a very average person. But I'm just telling you, we're going around and there's like, there's furniture. And we're like, man, she probably, you know, you think about it. When she bought this furniture, she probably put a lot of thought into it. 
She probably like, you know, went through a lot to purchase this. Probably, you know, who knows, maybe even put a payment plan together to buy this. And now we're putting it in the trash. And there's box, I mean, boxes of stuff. I'm just telling you, when my wife and I got back home, it made us look at our house different. We looked at our stuff and we just said, you know, one day our kids are going to have to do this for us. And they're going to go around, they're going to box up. And where's it all going to go? It's going to go in the trash. It's going to go to Goodwill. It's going to go to somebody else. And I'm just telling you, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I just don't, I just don't want you to be so consumed with your stuff because it's going to end up being this frivolous pursuit that is going to end in nothingness. It's all going to be in the trash anyway one day. I, I, I couldn't help but uh, it's kind of related. When I was, this past week, I was doing some studying and I was looking at different statistics of how Americans spend their money and how we, how we deal with our things. And I couldn't help but chuckle in kind of a painful way at the frivolous cycle of the way we spend sometimes. So I'll just show you what I'm talking about. I'd see if you found this as humorous as I did. So uh, in America, <clears throat> we spend about $200 billion on fast food every year. We spend about $96 billion on beer every year and about $20 billion on ice cream, okay, which is not surprising to me at all. Uh, but here's the interesting thing. is we spend $66 billion on weight loss every year. Right? And I was like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. All right. Like you could just, what if you just spent that up here? Okay, anyway, so uh, that, look at this one. This is interesting. We spend $2.3 billion on tattoos every year as a, as a nation, and we spend $66 million on tattoo removal. My guess is that probably has to do with the $96 billion of beer. That's probably my guess, right? Uh, how about this one? We spend $11 billion on coffee, which, by the way, that's totally justifiable. I don't feel, I don't feel bad about that one at all. Yeah, I see, I see people raising their coffee mugs. And look at this. We spend $1.4 billion on over-the-counter teeth whiteners. So we spend a bunch of money you know, staining our teeth and then trying to fix it. Uh, how about this one? We, we eat, spend $1,700 on clothes annually in our country, and then we throw away about 65 pounds of clothes a year. And I'm just telling you, when I was reading this, I was kind of chuckling, but at the same time, I was just thinking about what Jesus said. Man, don't store up for yourself treasures here. This stuff's all gonna go away. It's so frivolous. And so what Jesus goes on to say next is he says this very famous passage right here, and Jesus says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. He says, store for yourself things of eternal worth. And Jesus actually introduces us to an incredible eternal opportunity. And he says, listen, don't store for yourself treasures on earth. He says, you can actually, you can actually amass for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and vermin will not destroy and where thieves will not break in. So in other words, he says, you can actually live your life and you can invest your life in such a way that you will, you will gain reward for yourself and it won't perish and it won't vanish. It won't go away. He says, there's an eternal opportunity. And then he closes out by saying this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Such a famous passage. But Jesus says, there is an inseparable link. There is an inseparable link between your heart and your, and your, and your mammon and your treasure. Between what you treasure and your stuff. Where, what you love, your stuff and your money are going to follow. And what you, what you're, where your money and your stuff goes, your heart's gonna follow those things. Jesus says they are tied together. There's an inseparable link between those two things. And that all makes sense. But then Jesus goes on to say this next thing. And the next thing that Jesus says, I just want you to know, I think is maybe the most profound thing that Jesus says in the topic of generosity in the entire Bible. And I just want you to see this. I think it's so profound. Look what Jesus says next. So he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, 
How great is that darkness? All right, now, I think this might be, again, the most profound thing that Jesus says on the topic of generosity. Now, I know at first glance when you read that, you might be really confused. Like, you might read that and you might be thinking, what is he talking about? Like, it, this seems like a very abrupt transition in the conversation. Like, just a moment ago, you know, Jesus was talking about treasure and he was talking about our heart and all that kind of stuff. And that made sense. Now, all of a sudden, he's talking about our eyes. And you're like, where did that come from? That seems so out of the blue to us. But what I want you to see is that what Jesus says right here is not only related to what he just said, but I think it is a very, very profound metaphor an example of what it is that he's talking about. So let me try, I'm trying my best to explain to you what I'm convinced Jesus is saying here. And you gotta bear with me for a second because it's gonna take a little bit to explain it, but I'm telling you, I think this might be the most profound thing that Jesus says on this entire topic. And to understand what Jesus says in this metaphor, it actually comes, uh, it comes in understanding a very subtle wordplay. There's a very, very subtle wordplay that's happening here. And the wordplay actually is, uh, is contingent on these two terms right here. He says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body's full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body is gonna be full of darkness. That's what Jesus says here in this passage. Now, here's what's so fascinating. So when he says your eyes are unhealthy, the word there for unhealthy, some of you have different translations in your Bible, and it might actually say evil. If your eyes are evil, and that sounds kind of strange to have an evil eye, And the word evil or the word unhealthy, what that literally means is it means to be degenerated from something's original state. So if your eyes are degenerated, they're unhealthy, you're blind, you can't see, right? But what's interesting is, and this is where the play on words comes in, when he says your eyes are unhealthy or your eyes are evil, that is actually a very famous Jewish colloquialism to refer to someone who is greedy or stingy. So back in this time, if you were gonna talk about someone who is greedy, you would say they have an evil eye. Or if you were to talk about someone who was to look at your possessions and they were to be jealous or covetous of of the things that you had, they would have an evil eye. We actually have kind of a common phrase in our society, right? We say that people have a green eye. That's the same idea. You have the green eye monster. That's kind of the idea that comes with it, right? And so here, he says, if your eyes are evil, if you're greedy or if you're covetous, you're going to be blind. You're not going to be able to see. In fact, I think it's interesting, this idea of the evil eye, you actually see it back in the Old Testament. So let me just show you the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 6. Uh, eat not the bread of him who has an evil eye. That's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 28, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth. And in the context of both of these passages, it's referring to a person who has a covetous, greedy, stingy eye. Someone who is kind of that, that way. And so what Jesus says here is he says, if your eyes are evil, or in other words, if you're greedy and stingy, he says, then, then, then you're, you're gonna be blinded by that. You're not gonna be able to see anything. And then he, then he says this up here. He says, but if your eyes are healthy, healthy. Now, this is also a play on words. The word healthy, the word healthy that's used here is actually translated simple, simple or singular. That's the idea. And the whole idea is that with your eye, if you can see clearly, then you, you don't have double vision. You have, a singular, you have a singularity in focus. You can see things clearly. Now, here's what I think is so cool. The word that's used here for healthy in the Greek language is used throughout the New Testament in several different ways. But this is the only place, this and one other spot, that it's translated healthy. Everywhere else in the New Testament, do you know how this is translated, this word right here? It's translated generous. Generous. And so in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it talks all about generosity, about giving of your stuff and your money and your time. And it uses this word right here to talk about generosity. 
In Romans 12, it talks about being a generous person. It uses this word. In James chapter one, when it talks about how God is generous and we should be generous, it uses this word right here. And what is Jesus saying? All right, here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, listen, some of you might be thinking, that sounds you know, all kind of interesting, but what does it mean? Well, here's what I think it means. I think what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying that what you treasure the most in your heart, what you treasure the most in your heart, the thing you value the most and you're focused on the most in your heart, is going to affect the way you see. It's going to affect the way you see your stuff. It's going to affect the way you view your world. It's going to view the, the way you, you've, it's going to affect the way you view other people. It's going to affect the way that you see. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, if your eyes are caught up on worldly stuff, on wealth, on mammon, and that is your focus, he says, it is going to blind you. And you are gonna be greedy and you are gonna be stingy and you're gonna be focused on this. And this is he says, but if you're focused on eternity, if you're focused on heaven and the things of God, namely loving God and loving other people, he says, then your eyes are gonna be healthy and it's gonna result in generosity. You're gonna be able to see things clearly the way God sees things and it's gonna result in generosity. Now, again, I know that might sound a little bit complex, so let me see if I can make it even more simple. All right, so here's a little illustration for you. So I actually brought with me a little bit of mammon. So this is a 20 mammon bill uh, that I have here. And, um, and so let's just say for illustration's sake that this right here represents, this represents mammon. Okay, so I think it's probably a good representation because in a lot of ways, money does represent mammon. Money is more than money. Money can become things pretty easily. And so let's just say that. I think here's what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, listen, when your life, when your life is consumed on focusing on this, amassing more of this for yourself, getting more of this, saving up more of this, making sure that when you retire, you have enough of this. And he says, if that's what your life is so focused on, he says, it's going to affect the way you see the world. And he says, and you're gonna become short-sighted and you're gonna miss out. And he says, and it's gonna blind you. So in other words, I think Jesus is saying this. I think he's saying, this is what you look like, okay? If you're focused on mammon, he says, I think this is what you look like. He says, you're blinded. You're blinded and your eyes are unhealthy. And this is all you can see. He says, because this is what you're doing. You're going through life and this is all you're thinking about. This is all you're thinking about because this is all you're focused on. And he says, and so you're going through life and it's almost like you're in the dark. And he says, and, the, and what are you thinking about? You're thinking about this. What are you anxious about? You're anxious about this. What are you scared about the most? You're scared about this. What are all of your goals centered on? They're centered on this because I'm focusing on this. When I look at other people, what do I see? I see this. I see this. And so if you happen to have more of this than I do, then I become envy. I be, uh, envious. I become jealous. I become covetous of what you have. If you have less of this than I do, that I think myself superior to you, I think that I'm better than you or that somehow you know, I'm, I, I'm more deserving than you in some way. What, do I, what are my goals in life? Well, they're all about this. My goals are all about, I wanna get more of this. I need to accrue more of this. I need to save up some more of this. What do I want for my kids the most in life? I want them to have this. I want them to, to know about this. I wanna make sure that they have a nice job so they get some more of this. And this is what everything is about. It's about this right here. And Jesus says, this is what you look like. Which, by the way, this is actually kind of fun. I'm not going to lie to you. I cannot see any of you right now. This is great. But Jesus says, this is what you, what you look like. And he says, meanwhile, when you're so focused on this, what's going on out here? What's out here? He says, eternity. There is eternity out here. The rest of your existence is out here. 
And he says, and so if you're focused on this, he says, you're so short-sighted, you can't see. He says, but if, if you would set your eyes on eternity, if you would focus your attention and your treasure on heaven, he says, well, that's gonna fix the way you see. He says, and now you're gonna see, you're gonna see things in a healthy way. It's gonna change the way that you view other people. So now when I, when I look at other people, what do I see? I don't just see stuff, I see eternity. I see eternal things. And by the way, what are eternal things? Well, here's eternal things, God and people. Loving God and loving God. Let's just be honest. Everything in this room is going to go away. Your clothes, you know, this TV, this, this is all gonna go away. But you're not. You're an eternal creature. And you either, you either spend eternity with God and you will, you, will, you will serve God and you will amass for yourself treasure in eternity or you will spend eternity separated from him. And so what Jesus says is, he says, man, if you set your eyes on eternity, that's gonna cause you to see in a healthy way. And he said, and this is what he says. He says, it's gonna cause you to view your stuff the right way. And so now all of a sudden, when you look at your stuff, you don't just look at it, you look through it. And you can see, I can, hey, you know what? I can use this. I can actually use this to make a difference in eternity. And so if I see someone who's in need, I can help meet that need in the name of Jesus. And that can be an opportunity for me to share the good news of Christ or for them to have, it can have an eternal impact. I can use this to build relationships. I can use this to bless people. I can use my resources, my money, my stuff, my time, my talents, all for eternal means. So let's just say in this illustration, I said, okay, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna use this. So I come down here, right? And I just pick a random person. So I'm gonna pick you. And I'm just gonna give you this $20 bill and I'm just gonna say, you know what? I want you to buy lunch. So don't put it in the offering. That's what someone did last night. I gave it to him and they put it in the offering. And I was like, you are so holy, I hate you. <laughs> and, uh, but I want you to take that. You spend it on something for yourself because you know, buy lunch, probably not anywhere very nice. But that's just a way of saying, you know what? God loves you. God cares about you. God's been so generous to, to us. And this generosity is an expression of his generosity to you, all right? So you see how that works? You can use your stuff. You see what I'm saying? to build relationships with other people. All right, give it back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, you can have it. Pay, by the way, it pays to sit in the front row, just telling you. I was actually considering giving $100 away, but we have four services. That'd be 400 bucks. And I'm just, I'm not that generous yet. I'm working on it, all right? But I think this is what Jesus is talking about. I think this is why Jesus says stuff like this. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth. That's mammon. He says, use your stuff. Use it, use it for what? to gain friends, to love people, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see what Jesus is saying? Here's what Jesus says. He says, man, love God and love people, and then use your stuff to love God and love people. Unfortunately, a lot of times we get this backwards. We say love money and love stuff and use people and use God. And it's the opposite. And Jesus says, you're blind. You're blind. You can't see. And your heavenly father loves you so much. He says, the corrective lenses to this kind of blindness, to the blindness of pleonexia, is generosity, is generosity. That's why he concludes by saying, uh, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and you will love the other or you will do to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't serve both of them. That's what Jesus says. All right, so practically speaking, practically speaking, how do we grow to become more generous people? How do we actually practice and become a people who have a pattern of generosity in our lives? All right, well, let's get real practical. I think it all starts here. I think it begins with searching your own heart and talking to God. And so maybe I, I'd put it this way. I think it begins with a spiritual eye exam. All right, so here's a little spiritual eye exam for you based on what Jesus just said. I want you just to think through some of these questions. Number one, ask this question, what am I focusing on? 
what am I focusing on? Am I thinking a lot about how I need more money or how I need more possessions? Does that dominate a lot of my mental space? And I'm just, I'm thinking a lot about how I need more money, how I want more money. I'm, I'm, I'm the most anxious about, I'm the most concerned about, you know, all, all of my ambition in life is going towards getting more of money or possessions that I think that's a good thing to ask. What are you focusing on? What are you focusing on in your heart, your attention, in, in your, in your uh, anxiety, in your worry? What do you focus the most on? All right, here's the next question. What are my emotions around generosity? This is a good question. Ask, this question, ask yourself this question. What are your emotions towards this topic? So when, this morning when I said, hey, we're talking about generosity, were you like excited? Were you like, oh, cool, this will be kind of interesting. Or were you like, were you worried? Were you nervous? Were you scared? Were you mad? Were you like, no, can't talk about generosity. Were you sad? Did you feel guilty? And I think, I think it's good for you to ask these questions because I firmly believe that our emotions are directly attached to our strongest affections. And I would just say, if you feel certain emotions around this topic, pull that emotion up from the root and just ask this question, why? So if you're like, man, generosity, this whole thing makes me kind of scared. Why? Why does it make you scared? If you're like, man, this whole, this whole topic, it just makes me so mad. Okay, why? Why does it make you mad? I think it's important that you look at that. Talk that through. If you're a follower of Jesus, talk that through with God. It's really important. Here's the next question. What vision in life are you pursuing? So what is the vision in your life that you're chasing after? Here's what I believe. I believe that whether you're aware of it or unaware of it, every single one of us is pursuing some vision of what we think life should be. And my guess is that you might not even know this, but if, if I'm, just, I'm just asking, if you're in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, in 30 years, for some of you in 40, 50, 60 years from now, whatever it might be, what are you envisioning your life to look like? And some of you might be thinking, well, I don't really have a whole lot of you know, specifics what my life's gonna look like. That's, that's fine, but my guess is you probably have some rough sketch. And I'm just saying, if your vision for your life is all centered around mammon-centric visions, so if your vision is, well, my hope is that I can retire by this year and have this much money in the bank and have a vacation home over here and I have some more stuff and I got this thing set up and everything is mammon central. Well, by the way, that's fine. It's a good thing to plan that way. But if that's as far as your vision goes, is that it's just a mammon-centric vision, I think Jesus would say, man, you're being short-sighted and you need to expand your vision for your life. Maybe it means sitting down and actually making generosity goals for yourself. How can I become a more generous person? How can I serve more people? How can I give myself to eternity? And how can I focus and grow in that area? Here's the next one. Do I spend more time serving my stuff or serving God and others? You know, Dan asked this question last week and I thought it was such a good question that it was worth repeating. But I think it's really important. Do I spend more time servicing my mammon, taking care of my stuff, making sure that it's accounted for than I do serving my God or serving other people or using my stuff to serve other people? Do you find that you're just unavailable? Because you're like, well, I wish I could do some things for God, but I'm kind of tied down. I'm pretty strapped right now. I got this other thing going on right now. And I think that kind of harkens back to what Dan talked about last week, the importance of simplicity, pursuing simplicity for the sake of generosity. And you can go back and listen to what Dan said about that. All right, so how do you grow in this area? How do you become a more generous person? Well, there's a lot to say, but let me just give you some very practical steps in how to become more generous, how to become a generous person. So here's the first one. And this is gonna sound so simple, but it's so essential. If you wanna become generous as a follower of Jesus, this is so, so crucial. First and foremost, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with his people, spend time in his word, spend time getting to know him. 
spend time in solitude with him like we talked about weeks ago. Now, why is that so important? Well, the reason that's so important is because, and I think all of us know this, you become like the people that you surround yourself with. And if you spend time with Jesus, you are going to become generous. And why is that? Well, because Jesus Christ in God is the most generous example humankind has ever seen. Jesus, Jesus is so, so generous, so generous. His life was marked by radical generosity. Just consider some of these verses. 2 Corinthians 8, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that all of the luxuries and privilege of heaven were Jesus's, that he sat at the right hand of the Father. And yet Philippians 2 says that he willingly emptied himself of those things, taking on the role of a servant, giving his life, giving his time, giving us an example, and then ultimately sacrificing his life and raising from the dead for our sake. God so loved the world that he gave that Jesus' life is marked by radical generosity. And then in Romans 8.32, since God did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us, won't he, won't he also give us everything else? God is not stingy in his generosity. He is not reluctant in his generosity. He is lavish in his generosity. And I'm just saying, when you're gripped by the generosity of Jesus Christ, it's gonna change you and you're gonna become a more generous person. Here's what I believe. I believe that you and I are most like God when we give. I just think it's true. Whether we're giving time, whether we're giving a compliment, whether we're giving of our resources and our money, whether we're giving a hug, whether we're gi- whatever it is we're giving, we're the most like God when we give. Why? Because it is the nature of God to give. And he's generous. So spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. It's gonna change you. Let your heart be moved and let this become not just stale, cold verses on a screen, but let them become internal realities. Know what you have in Christ, the resources that you have. It's gonna transform you. Here's the next one. Uh, Pursue generosity in the small things. I think it's really important that we understand that generosity is not just an act. There are generous acts, but generosity is an attitude. It is a position of your heart that, that can affect everything, even in the little things. Uh, I I love, uh, I was telling you about that book by Ron Blue called Generous Living. By the way, it's a great book. I would encourage you to pick it up if you get a chance. But here's what he said. I thought this was pretty insightful. He said, uh, how often do we pass roadside accidents or disabled vehicles too busy to stop and offer our assistance? How often do we pull out in front of someone in traffic or race to snag the better parking place? How often are we too full of our own self-importance to return the grocery cart? to hold the elevator or politely say goodbye to a dinnertime telemarketer instead of just hanging up the phone. Which by the way, I hate that when that happens. And uh, he goes on, he says this, this is so good. At the very center of generous living is an awareness of the preciousness or the value of other people. When you begin to see people as God sees them, I think that's really interesting he says that. You see what he just said? If your eyes are healthy, is what he's saying. He says, if you can see people the way God sees people, that they are precious in God's sight, that God loves them and cares about them. He says, if you can see that, then what's gonna happen? Your eyes are gonna be healthy and it's gonna result in giving your time, your talents and possessions, even to folks you don't even know. It becomes a very natural expression of your relationship with Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying, man, when you see people the way God sees people, generosity is the natural outcome because you're gonna care about them, you're gonna love them. And so pursuing it in the little things. You can use everything in your life as an opportunity for generosity. Uh, your time, your resources, your home. These are all amazing ways you can use the, the gifts that God has given you to become generous to other people. Maybe even in small things. Maybe let another person in your family take the first shower when the water's hot. 
Maybe let, let another person have the last piece of cake. I know those are fighting words in some homes, but generosity can express itself in a million little ways. And here's the next one. I would say develop a financial generosity plan. So the topic of generosity goes beyond the realm of finances, but I think it is important to develop, a gener- uh, for those who follow Jesus, a uh, financial generosity plan. I don't think it's by accident that all the way back in the Old Testament, that one of the things that God commanded his people to do was to practice a regular rhythm with their income of tithing and of giving. This was actually some, this was a rhythm that God established very early on. And I think the reason he did it is because he knows that when we give, that when we become generous, it loosens the, the, our, our, the anxiety and the fear and the security that, that is all kind of found in our stuff and our mammon. And I think he knows that it loosens us from the, the grips of pleonexia. And so God says, I want you to establish a rhythm, a rhythm of regular giving. I think that's an important thing with your income. And so we actually encourage people here at the Medina campus who are followers of Jesus, we actually encourage people to become what we call 4P givers. And 4P, uh, that actually comes from uh, four biblical convictions. And so I'll explain it real quick. The first one is prayerful. Become a prayerful giver. And what we mean is the Bible's gonna say that when you give, you should first pray. You should give yourself to God. And you should ask God, how much should I give and what should I give to? That's between you and God. How much and what you give, that's between you and God. But we encourage people to be prayerful in their giving. Ask God. Secondly, percentage. Percentage. That comes from a biblical conviction that stems from the Old Testament called the tithe. And so in the Old Testament, tithe means 10 And God actually commanded his people. He said, I want you to give a 10th. I want you to give 10% of your income to the things of God, to to acts of generosity and kindness to other people. Now that was the Old Testament. We are no longer the Old Testament, uh, underneath the Old Testament law. We're now under grace. But I think that the same principle applies, that there's uh, there's an important quality in practicing something like that. So we encourage people to become percentage givers. Does that mean 10%? Well, I would just say this. I would say if you're in a place right now where that's so foreign to you and you're, you're a follower of Jesus and you're not a percentage giver, just start somewhere. Maybe start with 1%. Start with half a percent. Start somewhere and then increase. And then we would say priority. So priority, what we mean by that is that actually stems from a biblical conviction. The Bible talks about the idea of giving God your first fruits. And so the idea is God gets first and best. He doesn't get last and leftovers. And so this is, I give to God first. I give to the things of God and to generosity first. And then, uh, you know, it's not if I happen to have anything left over. As an act of faith and trusting God and as a way of securing myself from pleonexia, I'm going to give first. And so we say priority and then persistent. Persistent is that this is not just a one-time thing. This is a reoccurring habit, rhythm, pattern in our life that we are to pursue together. Now, I know that for some of you who are followers of Christ, the idea of giving this way is just so far outside of what is possible for you. Maybe right now you're in the midst of crippling debt and you're like, I don't know how to become a generous person when I am just overwhelmed. I just wanna encourage you, there's a great resource that's out there called Financial Peace University. There's gonna be some information in your program about this. And it's an amazing uh, kind of financial plan that helps you get in the place of knowing how to order your finances to become a more generous person. Just tell you, my wife and I, we did financial peace before we got married. It's one of the smartest things we ever did. And it was very, very helpful for us uh, as we were kind of building out a generosity plan in our lives. And then here's the last thing I'd say is uh, work to excel in it. Work to excel in generosity. I think for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everybody does, we should, we should become becoming more generous 
over time. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love that we have kindled for you, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. You see what Paul says? He says, man, if you're growing in Christ, you should grow in your love for other people. You should grow in your knowledge of the things of God. And you should also be growing in your generosity. That should also be something that's proof that the gospel is at work within your own heart and your own life. All right, steps towards generosity, some hopefully helpful and practical things that you can do. I'm ask the band to come up, and uh, as they make their way up here, I want to just kind of end with this one final thought, and then we'll pray. And here's the last final thought. This is a pattern. This is a pattern that can change you, and it really can. It really can. Uh, Jesus said, you are more blessed to give than you are to receive. And my guess is that for those in this room who have practiced generosity in any form, and, and I know that this church, there are some very generous people who are, some of you are very, very generous people. And my guess is if you're a person who has found yourself to be generous and has grown in generosity, you would agree with Jesus. You would say, yes, there is something profound. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. There, there is incredible freedom that comes in being a generous person. And I think your heavenly father wants that for you. When you practice generosity, it helps you to see as God sees. It reorients you. To, to be able to see people and to see your things in a healthy way. It keeps you from the dangers of greed and pride and pleonexia. It frees you from the anxiety that comes and constantly putting your hope and your faith in your stuff. And your father wants you to be free. And one of the ways that we do that is we become more generous people. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Wow, Jesus, you are so generous and you've given us everything. You've given us an example. You've given us your teaching. You've given us your life. You've given us forgiveness. You've given us the resurrection. You've given us adoption. Jesus, you've given us your word. You've given us your body. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your gifts. You've given us each other. You've given us air to breathe. You've given us, you've given us. God, you give. You are a giver. And Father, I know that you want your children to be like you. And so Father, would you help us? Would you help us to follow the example that you've given to us, that we might be givers as well. Help us to be transformed and changed. Father, in a society that is increasingly telling us the other way, in a society that's telling us that we should put our hope and our security and our identity and amassing more mammon for ourselves, Father, help us to listen to you. Help us to be free from that. Help us to see that that's a pathway to slavery. And uh, Father, that you, you care a lot about us. And so Jesus, I pray that even, you know, some of this can be difficult words. But I pray, God, that you help us to put these things into practice and to be changed as a result of it. And we just want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.